Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and it's my pleasure to welcome Atlanta Fed economist and policy advisor Patrick Higgins to the podcast. Dr. Higgins is one of the creators of the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now measure, which has become a closely watched indicator in financial markets. So I wanted to bring him on FedSpeak to explain a little bit to us about the history of the index, give us some background on its components, and maybe review its track record in predicting actual GDP as investors worry about the prospect of a U.S. recession next year. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now measure? How did the idea come about and how long did it take you to create and launch the index? Yeah, so the genesis of the idea was essentially we wanted to have some uh, forecasting models for GDP growth sort of related to the inception of the Fed releasing projections every quarter. And I think that was in 2007. Uh, so it started standing up kind of an, uh, a model really that really wasn't uh, like GDP now. It was more like the New York Fed's model uh, that was released sort of the, la the later part of the last decade. And uh, I guess I had some problems getting that to forecast uh, accurately kind of at the end of, of the sample uh, or right before the release. So I essentially thought, well, maybe you could use this methodology to forecast kind of the source data of GDP. And if you actually have the source data right before the release, maybe you'll get something more of an accurate read uh, using just actually using what's kind of the source data for GDP. So I started that uh, maybe early 2011, and by the middle to let you know maybe August of 2011, the kind of the first version of GDP now was uh, stood up essentially. How would you describe the difference between now casting and forecasting? Uh, so I would say they're pretty similar. I think now casting is a term in the weather forecasting literature, or you know, the science of that, and so it's. In that setting, it's like a, a forecast of the weather within six hours or even two hours of when it happens. For economics, I would say it's probably maybe a month or a quarter uh, in advance or even something that's happening either right now or in the recent past where the, the data hasn't been released yet. Uh, I guess so essentially, apart from that horizon difference, they're essentially the same thing. But for now, casting and forecasting, I would, would say there is some difference in terms of the indicators that might be useful for, for now casting and forecasting. So something like Google Trends for uh, unemployment or unemployment insurance claims might be useful for forecasting the unemployment rate at the month or two in advance. Uh, something like that. Those indicators are probably going to be less useful for forecasting you two to three years out or even longer term forecasts. So there is a differences in terms of methodology of what's going to be useful for now casting versus forecasting. Sure. And, and how well has the measure predicted a GDP itself over the years? And I understand that it's, the track record has become a little bit more difficult, just as it has for all forecasters, really, as as we hit the pandemic. Yeah, that's certainly right. Uh, so if you look over the entire period, including both before the pandemic and after and during the pandemic, uh, I would say the average error, uh, maybe three months before the release is something like two and a half percentage points. And that gets uh, progressively more accurate until just before the release, the average error has been uh, maybe 0.8 percentage points or something like that. But before the pandemic, those uh, statistics were a lot smaller. So it might have been something like a little over a percentage point miss uh, three months before the release. And right before the release, it might be something on average half a percentage point or so. I, I should I should make the caveat that these are using kind of the first GDP estimates from the, from the BEA, uh, not kind of the most recent vintage. But those are probably not going to be super different. 
And what factors would you say have underpinned any forecasting errors as you've tracked the index over time, both in the pandemic and before? And what tweaks have you made to to the model over the years in order to maybe make some adjustments to those errors? Sure. Uh, so I would say before the pandemic, sort of the noisiest indicators uh, were the hardest to forecast and, and kind of had the biggest source of error for GDP. So something like uh, net exports and inventory investment, uh, those are tend to be pretty volatile. You might have a negative reading even in a strong economy on those subcomponents. Uh, stuff like consumer spending was probably uh, easier for either easier to forecast or had a smaller uh, forecast error on average uh, in terms of its contribution to the growth. But that essentially reversed during the pandemic. So I would say during the first three quarters of the pandemic, including the first quarter of 2020, consumer spending was probably the major source of error for GDP now. Uh, especially as you were, you know, two to three months before the release, uh, you know, it could be wildly inaccurate, essentially. As you got closer to the release, it got more accurate on that subcomponent even, and even the other ones, but it was still less accurate than it was before. I would say more recently, things like uh, inventory investment and net exports, things like that have also been kind of a source of, of error, uh, especially net exports, I think, in the last uh, couple of releases. But I, I would say overall, kind of almost every single indicator is probably or subcomponent GDP has been harder to forecast during the pandemic than before. Can you talk about speaking of subcomponents? Can you talk about the index taking a step back? Just what are all of its components, and and what has shown the most fluctuation in in recent months, perhaps? Yeah. So in terms of, I would say the model uses the source data for. Uh, GDP's subcomponents. So the subcomponents of GDP, the kind of the biggest, or the four major indicators are consumer spending, uh, investment, both uh, by households investing in housing and businesses uh, investing, including, including inventory investment, and then government spending and net exports. Uh, so net exports is essentially take exports and subtract imports growth. So on average, that's going to be uh, negative because they're U.S. imports more than exports, essentially. And what's the difference between the Atlanta Fed's measure and the indexes that are put out by the New York Fed and other regional banks, and perhaps other now-casting measures in the in the private sector that you might call your quote-unquote competitors? Yeah, so I would say compared to maybe the New York Fed model and uh, the St. Louis Fed also has a model. Uh, probably the biggest difference is those models did not forecast the subcomponents of, of GDP directly, although they use some of the same sort of data to inform their forecast for GDP growth. But essentially, the way those models work was uh, kind of come up with a baseline forecast of GDP growth uh, and then kind of use a whole bunch of array of indicators, essentially, and kind of determine which indicators have the most uh, information for GDP growth and forecast those indicators directly. I think the St. Louis Fed uses actually consensus forecast from the private sector and the, the New York Fed's model had a statistical model. But essentially, if the data came in stronger than what the model or either the private forecasters predicted, then the forecast would essentially uh, go up. And you know, if it was weaker, then it would go down, essentially. And and different indicators got different weights, essentially. But this is, you could use the same methodology to forecast employment growth or gross domestic income growth. And, you know, it would work just the same way, essentially. Uh, in terms of the, yeah, sorry, should I go ahead with the private forecasters? Yes, please. 
So I would say that we don't have a, a ton of information on how they forecast. It was a survey from the Survey of Professional Forecasters, maybe 2009 or so, that asked how they forecasted GDP and other indicators. And so they do use some element of judgment, including their responses indicate they use some element of judgment, but not entirely. And in terms of the methodology they use, uh, probably there, there are a large number of methodologies, but they do forecast all of the subcomponents of GDP. And if you look at those forecasts, they are roughly consistent with their GDP forecast as well. So I'd say, you know, some of them probably are using things that are quite similar to GDP now. There might be things like uh, consumer spending forecasts are probably informed by forecasts of or an actual data of income by households, essentially, where GDP now doesn't have that, that measure. But for the most part, I would say they're probably pretty similar. Uh, especially for the near-term forecast. Now, getting into the actual data, your latest estimate of Q3 GDP is for 2.6%. That was as of September 1st. And that was a big jump from the prior reading, which I think was 1.6%. I'm wondering what drove that, you know, that that one percentage point jump from 1.6 to 2.6. And then stepping back, what is driving, what indicators are driving the general rebound in growth from the sogginess and weakness that we experienced in the first half, which, which you actually accurately predicted, by the way? Yeah, so uh, for the first part of your question, I would say GDP now tends to fluctuate kind of a lot at the beginning of the month because uh, essentially we haven't, the model doesn't use any data for August. Uh, or hasn't hadn't used any data for August until the ISM manufacturing release, which is essentially the first business day of each month. So it 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 essentially uses that release and indicators released before them, uh, notably consumer confidence and consumer sentiment, which both increase pretty sharply, even though they're at low levels. Uh, what the model uses is that kind of the change in those sentiment measures, and those both increase quite a bit, probably because of gas prices. Uh, at least to some extent, uh, but I mean, correlation-wise, when those things tend to go up, the you know you tend to have positive GDP growth, and when when they tend to go down, uh, when they go down, that you know you're more likely to have the negative GDP growth, and and so the ISM manu- the combination of that ISM manufacturing data and the, the consumer sentiment and confidence index, and the fact we're using kind of sparsely populated August data, was kind of that that data for August essentially is stronger than the model expected. Uh, so one, once kind of the employment data gets folded in, that could that could change by, you know, could go back to where it was or could stay where it was essentially. But but once that gets folded in, it's less likely once you get to the later half of the quarter for that to be kind of a swing factor. Uh, in terms of how the the forecasts or how GDP now or GDP has evolved over the past year or so. I would say for consumer spending, it was extremely strong in the first half of 2021, uh, largely because of uh, stimulus uh, from the American Rescue Plan. I think that was March 2021. And also just the reopening of the economy, more generally, kind of the vaccines coming into wide usage. So services, uh, consumer spending has gone up by quite a bit. I would say over the past year or so, maybe it's been more kind of normal rates of consumer spending growth, but still generally positive. In terms of why it's been the GDP growth has been soft recently, uh, so if you look at kind of the the best forecasters of your GDP growth in terms of the subcomponents, it's essentially going to be consumer spending and uh, investment, excluding inventory investment. So the other indicate the other subcomponents 
net exports, uh, government spending, and inventories investment. Those are essentially have been big subtractions over the first half of the year. So especially, you know, I think net exports was a big subtraction, if I'm remembering correctly, in the first quarter and inventory investment in the second quarter. But if you combine all three of those uh, government spending, inventory investment, and net exports, and just to subtract those for GDP growth, you get, I would say, below trend, but still you know, well into positive territory GDP growth for the first half of the year. And so essentially, GDP now has uh, no long, doesn't have subtraction from net exports, government spending, and inventory investment when you add all of those things up and has kind of normal to middling uh, investment fixed investment and residential investment. That residential is actually negative, but it's more than canceled out by the business fixed investment and consumer spending. So that's essentially why it's positive now. Okay. And is do you, can you give us a hint as to what we're going to get in the next update in, on Wednesday? And also, do you have any, does the index give us any clues as to what Q4 is going to look like? Yeah, I, I probably can't in terms of the, the next release. It'd be fair to everybody essentially, but in terms of the fourth quarter, it doesn't not, the model doesn't forecast that directly. So I can't give you like a numerical answer, but in terms of what drives the model, that essentially what the, the, the forecast or the model comes up with this object called a, a factor. So the Chicago Fed has something called the Chicago Fed National Activity Index. So it's essentially just a weighted average of a bunch of indicators normalizing so that zero is essentially trend growth. And if you're above zero, it's positive growth above trend. And negative means growth below trend or even you know declining level essentially and so that that indicator is well into positive territory so far for august and so as long as that stays kind of in, the, the model is essentially not going to probably forecast that thing to go negative essentially so i would say if you extended the, the model to something forecasting the fourth quarter it's probably not going to have something like recession uh, but you can't really say too much more than that i would say Fair enough. And and then one last question, which is, I understand that when we look at GDP, we're looking at real GDP, which of course means it's adjusted for inflation. But does the index give us any clues about the path of inflation itself? Is there a, a sort of deflator that you can tease out that gives you any clues about the either the current or future path of inflation? I would say probably not with a couple caveats. So one caveat would be when it actually has the nominal spending data, the model does use deflate or price deflators from things like the consumer price index and the producer price index to essentially construct an inflation adjustment inside of the model. But beyond data that hasn't been for data that hasn't been released at all, essentially the model is not going to be forecasting the inflation measure, just forecasting the price adjusted measures directly and sort of not worrying how much of that is nominal and how much is inflation. So it's, it's essentially not going to give you much of a read beyond kind of the current month. There are things like the Cleveland Fed has a inflation now casting model that they, they have things and there are other inflation forecasts, obviously, but GDP now doesn't have anything beyond the very near term. All right, we'll leave it there. I really thank you for your time. That was Dr. Patrick Higgins of the Atlanta Fed, one of the creators of the GDP now measure that's so closely watched these days. I really thank you for coming on FedSpeak. Thank you, Pedro. I appreciate it.